the region, I have to say, would be the kind of thing that if you were thinking about having Cosmopolitan, it would just probably appear next to you at the pool. everybody to another episode of the DCL Duo podcast. And this evening, we have a special guest coming to us all the way from Vermont, Dana Freeman, who runs the Dana Freeman Travel Blog. And Dana, we just wanted to start by welcoming you to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. We're excited to talk to you. So this show for all of our listeners is going to be a little bit different. We're Disney-focused podcast. Disney Cruise Line's our first love. But to sort of set this up, Dana is not a Disney cruiser. Dana is a luxury cruiser, however, and a travel blogger. And Sam and I read her profile, actually, in Paul Thornton's Joy of Cruising book, prep for an interview we did with him. And we thought it'd be fun to have Dana on because I think a lot of us look at the price point that we pay to go on a Disney cruise, and it sits kind of in that luxury market space for cruising. And so Dana has a lot of experience with some luxury cruising, some alternative kinds of cruising, like river cruising and barge cruising, which is a space that Disney is pushing into with uh, Adventures by Disney. And so we thought it'd be just interesting to have her on for her perspectives around luxury cruising so folks know what else is out there in case it piques your interest and you want to give it a try. I know Sam and I just recently booked a cruise on Norwegian Cruise Line for Alaska because we couldn't resist the fact that that ship sails right out of a downtown of our home city, Seattle, and puts us right back where we started so we don't have to fly anywhere to take the ship. So it's it's good, I think, occasionally to remind yourself as much as we love Disney Cruise Line, what else is out there so that we can make sure that Disney's still offering the value for the price point it pays. So And also because we're really jealous of all of the luxury cruising that Dana has done. I gotta say, I gotta say, after Reading your profile, Dana, I was super, super jealous. So you know what you like. That doesn't mean that you can't have something else or try something else. <laughs> exactly. Just because your favorite flavor is vanilla doesn't mean you can't try Rocky Road every once in a while. <laughs> well, okay. so, so let's get started with, we normally ask folks what their Disney background is, Dana, but having talked to you a little bit before the show, I know you haven't been on Disney Cruise Line, but I think it'd be helpful for folks who haven't read you know Paul's book like we have and seen your profile. Can you talk a little bit about what your cruising background is? Yes. Um, and I blame my cruising preferences on my grandmother. <laughs> she is the one who started me cruising, although our first one was a Holland America when I was 12. I believe in Paul's book, there's a horrifying photograph of me in some Dutch outfit, you know, when I'm 12 at the theme night party. So um, if you're looking for my first ever cruise photo, that's probably it. <laughs> my, my background really is my grandmother's the one who exposed me to it. She was a single woman in her 50s wanting to travel. And back then, a safe way to do it as a single lady was to go on a cruise. You had the opportunity to mix and mingle with other passengers because at that time you were always seated with other guests. It wasn't like it is now where you might have a choice. And she just enjoyed it. And that's what she did. And when she started traveling with her grandchildren, she wanted to expose us to it. And that's sort of how I started. And when I was in my late 40s, I guess, no, maybe early 40s, it doesn't really matter. My grandma wanted to go back out and cruise, but she was in her 90s and take my children. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I was like, well, I know you want to do that and have the same experience that you did with me because cruising is a fantastic multi-generational 
tra- way to travel. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, well, we can get into that more, but so she wanted to do that with my kids. And I was like, well, I don't really, they're, they're little for that eight and 11 is too much responsibility to take care of you in your nineties. So would you, and she's like, of course, let's just all go together. That was that. And they're my children's first cruise and my re-entry into cruising was on Windstar. And so that just started me on the path of small ship luxury cruising. I thought it was going to be a one and done kind of thing. We went when she was 92 and my kids were eight and 11 and we sailed around the Mediterranean and it was a beautiful, amazing once in a lifetime experience for our three generations to have together. But no sooner than we arrived home and she was like, okay, where are we going next? And We did it for the next four years. We sailed every year with her, with my kids, until her 96th birthday, we sailed out of Venice. And she passed away shortly after that cruise. But it was just an incredible, in those years, we went on Windstar and Seabourn. We sailed through the Panama Canal. We sailed all over the Mediterranean. And it really just was eye-opening for me because I had you know, younger children and there was no like Disney or some of the other larger cruise lines offer the teen club or the kid club or the kids activities. You know, there, we didn't have Wi-Fi or, you know, iPads or my kids brought books and we brought games. And everybody said to me at the time, they're like, you're crazy. What are your kids going to do? There's going to be no other kids to play with or do anything. And honestly, my kids loved it. One of the best experiences of their life. And, And how many, how many cruises have you been on, Dana? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm going to go with probably about 150 nights worth, maybe 20 cruises. I mean, if you factor in all the, the smaller ships I've been on and the windjammers, and, which are cruises, all of that, maybe over 20. Wow. And that doesn't include all the other probably ships that you've toured as a part of your blog. Right. No, it doesn't include the ones that I've just gotten the opportunity to tour. Living in Vermont, where, where do you prefer to sail out of? Where's, where's your, your, do you have a sort of primary port? Can I just tell you how much ship envy I had or port envy I had when you said that you were sailing in and out of your hometown? <laughs> that, that is such a huge consideration, right? I yeah. mean, because most cruises, not only do you have to travel to the port to sail out of, but you're also coming home into a different port, which makes airfare and all of that challenging and part of your budget for cruising. Living in Burlington, I can fly out of Montreal um, as my closest large airport. So I typically fly out of Montreal I've never cruised out of Montreal or Quebec City, although I've written about them as ports and why you should cruise in or out of them. And that is high on my radar. But I typically fly in and out of, um, I mean, cruise in and out of somewhere in Europe is, you know, where I normally start. I've sailed out of Rome. I've sailed out of Barcelona. Well, it's funny. Your cruises automatically start with an international travel. It sounds like you have to travel over the border into Canada just to, uh, just to get a flight. So yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and for our listeners in the background there, you heard some F 35s, uh, in, uh, it's kind of cool. It's cool background noise. F 35s coming out of Burlington. So how, how often do you cruise in a, in a year now, Dana? Well, in a normal year, unlike this that we're in presently, typically four to five times between when, when COVID hit until now, I should have been on three cruises. Oh, wow. 
And how long is a typical cruise that you like to take? If it's for personal travel, the longest I can. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in November, I did the launch of the Norwegian Encore, and that was three days, two nights to the Caribbean, which I had never cruised into the Caribbean, believe it or not. That's the only time. Um, I can't wait to go back. I know. I've been to the Caribbean a ton on personal travel or or business travel for writing purposes, but not on a cruise. uh, And I loved it. I, you know, so three or four days feels like a nice amount, but by the time that you really settle in, I really think it's seven days or more. I just feel like, you know, I always pack in a day or two early, like I'll arrive because the ship's not waiting for you if you miss your flight or your connection or whatever. So I never fly in the morning of embarkation, but I, I feel like it takes me a few days to really get in the groove. And I think on the larger ships that I've been on, which aren't even that large, if I'm not there for long enough, I don't get to experience everything the ship has to offer. Right. And if, if you're thinking the ship is your destination, as much as the ports are your destination, then you you do want enough time on board to enjoy that amenity. And certainly at a price point too, that you're paying to be on that ship, you're going to want enough time to explore and enjoy the amenities. So what, what cruise lines have you been on, Dana? Been on Windstar and Seabourn the most, but I've, because of the nature of travel writing and freelance travel writing, I try not to go back to the same over and over because I want to diversify my experience to share that with other people. So I've I've been on a barge cruise. I've been on a, a river cruise with Viking. I've been on the Windjammers in Maine quite a bit, which is a whole different style of cruising, which I love. I don't really have a loyalty to a brand per se. I was supposed to be, I toured the Regent Seven Seas in earlier in, in the year. And then that was the first cruise that got canceled for me. I was supposed to be on the new Splendor in March right after with the country shut down. So that didn't happen. They, I could see myself becoming loyal to that line very easily. <laughs> <laughs> we saw the pictures and the yeah. the blog posts about that. that. I mean, it looked so luxurious. It looked amazing. Yeah. It pretty much leaves no stone unturned for luxury. So what's interesting about your answer, Dana, is the cruise lines I'm not hearing are the ones that people, I think, think about, like in the list of cruise lines, you'd hear Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity, Norwegian, Holland, America. Holland, America. No, you did say you'd been on a Holland, America cruise as a child, yep. but yeah. So, yeah. But I don't I don't really remember it. And um, I was on the Norwegian in November, and that was my first big cruise line in a long time. And I have to say, I went into it with my eyes wide open because I wanted to understand what what's the draw for that versus the small ships that I normally like to travel on, whether a barge that's eight person or a Windstar style is, you know, 300 people. And I really understood it. I mean, there's the nightlife to begin with, right? It's not, you know, on, on the, the smaller ships, you're getting the crew doing something in the lounge at night and that's about it. I mean, the fact that you've got Broadway style theater productions and casinos, you know, some of the smaller ships do have little casinos, but a bigger casino and the choice of dining rather than just one dining room that's open only for these hours. I I really understand that. And I mean, I'm sure that all the larger cruise ships have the equivalent of the the Haven is what's on Norwegian, you know, like sort of the, the, the small ship within the big ship, the suites and the upgraded private areas. Does Disney have? Yes. Disney calls it concierge cruising. And so they've got that, um, it's not as it's not as expansive as some of the stuff on the large ship. So Disney's yes. concierge classes, upgraded staterooms is where you get this. The staterooms are actually the same for some class, 
some of the classes. So you're getting but the, the finishes are the finishes upgraded. are a little nicer. You're getting on some of the ships private key card access into the area. There's a lounge. There's separate deck area, not a separate pool, but they have their own kind of uh, outdoor outdoor yeah. deck area. So that's I think it's you know you where you won't have to fight to get a, a chair. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you, so yeah, that's, sure. I, that's what I understood when I went on the Norwegian cruise line because I couldn't remember what it was like to sail on a big ship. And a lot of people have these preconceived notions about you know sailing on these big huge you know hotel style ships. But I understood that if you really like small ship cruising, but you're missing out on the options and amenities for twenty different dining rooms or the nightlife, like I said, or maybe you know you've got kids that do need the entertaining and you want that water slide or um, in Norwegian's case, they had the race car or the laser tag or things like that. You can still have that small ship experience if you're, you know, if you want to pay the concierge or the haven or the mm-hmm. smaller area. Really had a greater appreciation for it. Me personally, I, I don't need that on a cruise ship. It was so nice to have. And, you know, I did get in the winner's seat on the race car driving. <laughs> nice. yes, I was, once I was in there, it was pedal to the metal style, like I'm going to take you down. But I, I didn't need it. You know, I wasn't like, oh, if the ship doesn't have it, I'm not going on it. I'm very happy with a cocktail and a book and uh, the sunshine and the wind. To me, that's cruising. We should probably step back and define for people a few things here, because in, when when we talk to folks about Disney, there's always a need to sort of spell out some acronyms and things like that. But I think you're you're also using a set of terminology that would be super helpful to sort of ground ourselves in, which is sure. just when we talk about small ship cruising, luxury cruising. OK, so what do you when you say small ship, like how many people are on board some of these ships that you're sailing on? So a barge cruise, which is totally luxurious. I mean, there's different classes. Barge cruises go from three to six star, but they're still, you know, you're, you're not camping on the boat. <laughs> They can be anywhere from two to 22 passengers. The one that I sailed on in France was had four cabins, so it would have held eight people and five crew. I was so early in the season that actually one of the bedrooms was empty. So we were with as my husband and myself and two other couples. So that's it for a week, wow. which is fantastic. Yeah, which is fantastic if you like the people that you're sailing with, mm-hmm. the strangers, which we did. We totally lucked out with them. We're still friends with them. Yeah. Um, but it it might be a better option for people who want to rent the whole thing, charter it themselves if they're afraid of that cozy of confines. A river cruise, I've only been on Viking. I was supposed to be sailing on Scenic. That's another, actually, right now I would be uh, in France. Oh, on bummer. Yes. Um, those are in the, you know, 190, 200 Vikings are. Scenics are more like the 80 passenger or 84, I think. A Windstar ranges from two, I think, 280 to 325 on their biggest. I would say now the Regent Seven Seas Explorer that I was on, that's around 750. To me, in my world, that feels big, but I know that's not. I still think they would consider themselves the edge of small to lower size medium mm-hmm. is probably where they fit. And then the wind jammers, which are sailing ships, they hold anywhere from 12 to 20 people with maybe five crew. And that is luxury. There's one or two that you might say are luxury for a wind jammer, but those are pretty much like camping on a boat, which oh, is wow. so fun. And I love it. I've done it four times. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> and for comparison, cruising on the Disney cruise line, you know, their smaller ships hold around 2,500 passengers and their larger ships hold around somewhere between 3,500 to 4,000 passengers. The other thing that might be interesting to understand is like, what are the 
price points for these cruises, you know, or ranges for these cruises. When you talk about luxury cruising, what is the cost that people should sort of maybe keep in mind? And b- broadly speaking, and you, know, you don't need to sort of quote specifics, but like broadly speaking, where where are these things landing? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that it's you're going to get a range. A barge cruise is going to be anywhere between four thousand and six or seven thousand, depending on the itinerary and and which ship. You know, I said they're three to six star, depending on that. But everything's included. I mean, there's there's nothing that you pay for except gratuity at the end, um, and your oh, your transportation is not included, meaning flying to Paris or wherever you're going. But once you land at the airport, your transportation's included. Is that per person or for the stateroom? Uh, per person, per person. It's it's you know, but you know, when I was on this this barge cruise, and I've only been on one, hoping to be on more again. It's supposed to be on one in August, fingers crossed. But the I had thirty three different wines in the week. I mean, wow. and all of that is right. Like it's on. It's all. I mean, you're sailing in Bordeaux or Burgundy, and you're wine tasting, and wherever you've gone to a vineyard during the day, that's typically the wine that's served at night. And but you're drinking at lunch and at dinner. It's a real culinary experience, a very mm-hmm. food and wine focused experience, and all of that's included. So if you were to add all those things up individually, you know, there is no beverage package that you're buying. There's no option for that. I would say the river cruises on Viking because they're a large fleet, you know, and they offer multiple cruises each year and, and multiple places and whatnot, you you can get a better deal. There's there's deals all the time. They're, they're more, you know, $2,000 depending on, you know, mm-hmm. what you're including. A Regent Seven Seas in the so in the seven hundred and fifty person category, that those are going to be anywhere between eight and ten thousand dollars a person. Now, however, everything there is included. Your business class airfare is included. All of your transportation, all of your excursions, everything. There is no nickel and diming whatsoever, and you're not thinking about oh, can I go on this safari, which is offered as the excursion? Is that going to tip me over my budget? Because it's just included. Mm -hmm. That's really cool, especially if you're going to be cruising like out of a European destination from the U.S., right? And so you're you're thinking airfare is going to be in the thousands of dollars per person range already. And so if you're considering doing a, a cruise abroad, that doesn't seem like an astronomical price point. What's interesting about what you're what you're saying, I, I think if, if I could sort of paint the picture around your experience on Norwegian versus some of these other cruise lines, even thinking through our own experience with Disney, I think that there is a category of cruising called the ship itself is the destination. It is yeah. the resort and it moves from place to place and there are things you can do there, but it is almost sometimes as big a draw as the port that it's in. The river cruising, the small ship cruising, maybe setting aside the Regent cruising a little bit because I have a feeling they have a lot of the amenities that some of these larger ships have, but the, those smaller cruises, the ship is the mode of transportation to get you to the places where the action is happening and it becomes a way for you to, to sort of stay one place and then the the destination changes right so you're not on the ship for necessarily its amenities it's a nice ship it's good a, a luxury spot to sort of lay your head at night have a really nice meal meet good people to your point there's no broadway shows there's no big pools you know they might i don't know if the river cruises have spas on board or not but the ship, yeah, the ship is going to be less of the destination than the destinations themselves. 
Right. And the beauty too, I mean, a lot of people ask me this, that the beauty to a smaller ship is that since the destination is a, reason, a big reason you choose that itinerary on a smaller ship, you're going into smaller ports mm-hmm. where a, a Disney or Norwegian or Radisson or whatever, they can't fit in these smaller places. A lot of times, not the, the river cruises, obviously you pull up along the river, but the, the smaller cruise ships, sometimes they drop anchor and you're tendered into port. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you arrive in that smaller, unique town, you're not, it's not you and 5,000 people from two other ships that happen to be in port that day. It's really just you and some locals. I mean, it's a really nice experience. And I use it a lot of times because, you know, a day in a port isn't long enough to get to know a place, but certainly it's enough to make a judgment whether, wow, this is someplace I'd like to come back on my own and vacation and explore more or, okay, yep, not, not my cup of tea. I'm not coming back here. Let's segue there for a second. Let's talk about river cruises because to set this up, you know, Disney is sort of pushing into the river cruising market, I think, based on some of the success they've had with Disney Cruise Line. They have a partnership with AMA and AMA has actually constructed a few ships that are specific to Disney Cruise Line offerings through the Adventures by Disney uh, brand. And so they have river cruises throughout the year, primarily down the Rhine and the Danube, I, I believe. They're pushing into that market. So for our listeners out there, This is a direction that Disney is headed and is already in. And so I think it'd be really interesting, Dana, can you talk to folks about your river cruising experience and what what are some of the biggest pros of it? You know, is it is it family friendly, that sort of stuff? Right off the bat, the pro is that you're seeing the interior of a country instead of the coastline. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking to travel and see towns, you know, like that, that's part of your destination goals is to see, you know, Budapest or, you know, or Nuremberg or those interior towns. It's fantastic. Same concept, you know, your hotel room moves with you and you can probably see three or four countries in a week. I really enjoyed both the river cruise and the barge cruise I was on. What I learned though is that there, it depends on if you like the tours. So I can only speak to the Viking experience that I had in terms of that. There's, you know, the base level tour each day is included. And then you can upgrade to a different tour and pay outside what was included for maybe a smaller, more private experience or something with a PhD or a docent or that kind of thing if you want to do that. I found that I wasn't really much of the group tour person. Um, I sort of knew that going in because that's not the way I like to travel. I, I don't normally do the shore excursions included in any cruise. I usually arrange them on my own just because that's the way my husband and I like to travel. But I, I wasn't much for the follow the person with the paddle and listen to your headset sort of style thing. <laughs> um, I preferred it. And, and there's nothing against that. That's just not the way that I I enjoy finding, a, you know, discovering a city. Mm-hmm. I prefer just to walk around on my own. But I did upgrade the river cruise I was on. I went from Budapest to Nuremberg. And in Nuremberg, we did the upgraded tour and it was fantastic. And I would have never had that experience had I have not done that or, or known about it, you know, doing it through Viking. I do like that on the river cruises, you're right there in port, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, you're not getting off and being bussed into town or there's not a second mode of transportation. You get off and you're pretty much for the most part there. You do need to know that sometimes on a river cruise, especially in the bigger ports, you are tied up boat to boat, meaning you might have to walk through the next boat to get off 
your boat. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I, yeah, they're stacked up. I know I had no idea. Which, if you're three boats in a row and you're the middle row overnight in port, you're going to be having your curtains drawn and, you know, not looking into somebody else's room. <laughs> I had. I had no idea about that. You know, yeah. I'm used to you dock and you're either on the port side looking into port and that might not be pretty or you're looking or it might be pretty or you're looking out to sea overnight and that's then you move on the next day. So that kind of surprised me. I didn't realize that it would be like that. I did like the fact that you're in port a little bit longer for the most part. You know, the river cruises are slow. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not sailing at the at a certain clip to get someplace. Um, a lot of times you have to go through the locks, which is slower going than if you're on the ocean. So you tend to usually have a little bit longer days, which I like. So you can have the opportunity to eat off the ship, taste of the locals for dinner. You know, sometimes on a bigger cruise, you're sailing out at five. So you, there is no opportunity to have dinner on shore. So, so those are some of the other things. You aren't going to get those amenities necessarily. Like the river cruise that I was on didn't have a pool. I know some, some lines do. We had no sort of, there's like the, the one lounge, but no uh, anything else for entertainment space. The thing I didn't love is the fact that because there's only one restaurant, you have to eat at that time. Mm-hmm. So breakfast is between seven and nine. Lunch is only at whatever time. Dinner is at seven and there's no room service, at least on Viking. Mm-hmm. So, there wasn't even the option to like, I'm not hungry at eight o'clock, so I'll just order dinner in my room at 10 that you're out of luck. Right. You have to eat. And that, that forced scheduling for me wasn't my favorite way to travel, but I'm glad I did it so I know. Mm-hmm. How did you find the service on board the, the ship in comparison to some of the other cruises you've been on? Comparable, very nice, very personable. I understand one of the reasons that Disney is a big draw is because you're dinner or your meal, meal crew travels with you from restaurant Mm -hmm. to restaurant. So they really know you. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yep. My friends, my friends have raved about that fact. They really like that personalized level. You don't necessarily have that on a river cruise, the barge cruise, the service was phenomenal. Mm. I have to say we actually had dinner or you have one dinner off the boat because you have a private chef while you're on the boat. But one night you have dinner in a Michelin star restaurant. And I came home after that and said to the captain, I want to commend your crew. Your your service here on the, on the barge is better than the Michelin star restaurant. Oh, wow. wow. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah and, I'm, I was blown away. So. And how did you find not on the barge cruise, but on the river cruise? how did you find the food to be? I'm curious. Um, we were on one that had, it, you know, they try to match it to regional food. So uh, often we had uh, things like schnitzel or, you know, things that you would find typical on a Danube cruise, cruise for those towns. It, it was, it was good. It wasn't gourmet blow me out of the park style food. Mm-hmm. In the river cruising realm, did you see lots of families aboard or was it more adult only? That was a much older demographic. My husband and I were probably among the younger set. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of families though that travel together, meaning the couples in the family. So we saw parents with their, their, their two grown children and their spouses, like on a, on a family trip, you know, minus their kids, if they had little kids. So there was a lot of that. It was a nice option for maybe your pain, you know, being able to travel with your parents with a lot of organization and kind of on a smaller scale, but no, not a lot of kids. Dana, have you experienced any of the U.S. river cruises or have you heard anything about them? And what are your thoughts? No, I have not, but I would like to. I think that given the change in travel um, restrictions that are going to come up for the next several years for all of us, that that would be an excellent option 
you know, sailing down the Mississippi or out uh, where you guys are, there's the, is that the Snake River? Yeah. 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 I know several lines do it there as well. Um, and I think it's going to be an up and coming uh, option for people. It, and are, are there any big drawbacks you see at river cruising or, or people you'd say, you know what, you might want to avoid this if. You know, I, I think that if you are looking for the bigger uh, amenities, I mean, there's not going to be any river cruise that's going to be a thousand people. So you're not going to have that opportunity to have to have several, you know, different restaurants or that if that's not your thing, if you're not liking the small, the river cruise is not going to be for you. Also, if you're expecting it to be a sailing style of experience, it's it's not the same. I mean, you are going slow down a river and you go through locks. So you're stopped and you have to, you know, you're kind of stuck in the middle while the water either rises or lowers. And it's it's a different pace, I guess, is what I would say. Um, and some parts of the river are not as scenic and beautiful as they are in the brochure. <laughs> I mean, I, I did the Danube, you know, and, and there are certain parts of it that are absolutely stunning. And you see all those beautiful, picturesque little towns right on the water and whatever. But some of it, there's nothing to look at. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Windjammer cruises? So you mentioned you've, you've done a, a ton of those and or maybe not a ton of those, but you've done several of those. I want to kind of understand how those are how those are different from, you know. The- oh, my goodness. So they are I've done them all in and out of Maine. So whether it's uh, Camden or Rockport, but in Maine and they're unchartered in a way. So there's never an itinerary. You don't go into it saying, oh, we're going to get to go to X Island and Y Island and this beach and that beach. You're really going where the tide and the wind takes you each day. I mean, the captain plots out. He doesn't right. just set out. He plots out the day. But it's very, he can't commit to or she can't commit to the like a firm itinerary. You can help or not. So um, you can help raise the sails. You can, the cap, most captains are very willing to have you get behind the wheel. Some of the more luxurious ones like the Ladona, you are served your meals, your, your meals are cleared for you kind of thing, but you're still, I mean, they're in a galley kitchen, you know, with an old wood burning stove. I mean, it's really unbelievable the amount of food and the, the high quality of food that is served on a wind jammer. And some wind jammers you go on, you're, it's help yourself, serve yourself, and then you're doing your own dishes at the end of the night. <laughs> so, you know, you're scraping them off and washing them in a bin and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. There are no, one of the biggest drawbacks, I think, for people who like to cruise that I've heard that go on these is you don't have your own personal bathroom. Oh. A lot of them, you have a sink in your room and a mirror so you can even brush your teeth and freshen up and whatever, but you don't have your own, they call it a head. You don't have your own toilet or shower. Mm-hmm. You're not going on this cruise because you're expecting to dress up every night for dinner. And you <laughs> right. You know, I actually went on one last summer where I didn't shower at all because there just really wasn't the opportunity to. I jumped off the boat when we were docked for the night for a lobster bake and I brought shampoo and a jug of clean water with me, washed my hair, washed my hair in the ocean and rinsed it off with clean water. Oh, wow. And that was my shower. Yeah. So it's really different. It's not, it's a very different style of cruising, but the food is phenomenal. If you're a sailor, it is just I mean, you're, you're sailing the mm-hmm. whole time, except when you motor in and out of the small marina, you know, the boatyard, but it's, it's authentic, you know, one night and every single one that I've been on, there's one night where the crew sets up a traditional lobster bake on land 
and it's, you know, over the bed of seaweed and they steam it in a huge pot and you have corn on the cob and s'mores. And, you know, it's just that part of it's great. The first one that I ever went on actually was a wine tasting one. So they had a person on board who was very knowledgeable about wine. And every night we had a wine tasting with hors d'oeuvres and then it went straight into dinner and you were uh, educated about the wine and stuff. So it was formal, but informal in an informal setting. What's the age demographic on these Windjammer type cruises? Now these, I've had everything from one cruise. We were with three old salty guys who had been friends since like college, right? And every year they do something without their wives and this is what they do. And, you know, they must've been in their late seventies and they were a hoot. I had such a good time with them, really enjoyed, you know, conversing with them and getting to know them. I was once on a Windjammer where it was one of the larger ones. So it's called maybe 22 passengers. I would say 12 of them were one family. That was hard on the demographic for the rest of us because they were very content, you know, doing them. And they had anything from the 10 year old on up to the teen and then a bunch of, you know, sisters and brothers and, and the parents. I would say for the most part, say it's not little kids, but it's very family friendly. You could do it with little kids if you weren't worried about them jumping off the boat. So probably want to have a one a good swimmer. And it sounds like and it sounds like these Windjammer cruises, I would categorize these as like an active person's cruise. Yes. Although a lot of people, I mean, I read a ton while I'm on there. You find your little nook. People knit, people read. If you're not keeling over, you can, I've played Scrabble and, you know, other stuff. At night, your entertainment, I have to say all the crew and all of the captains I've ever met all are musical. So they play guitar and they sing. That's your, your evening entertainment. It's a different experience. It's really, it's great. If you like being out there on the water and sailing and you like amazing food, it, that is for you. Sounds kind of like a luxury camping experience almost. That is exactly how I would describe it, right? The cabins are not huge. Every time my husband and I have slept in bunk beds and, you know, it's, it's, they range from like the Ladona is glamping on a boat and some of the other ones like the Angelique or the Riggin are camping on a boat. Mm Mm-hmm. And length of cruise, are these traditional kind of three, no, four, they're five? Shorter. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, you're going for three or four days mostly. They do have some six and seven days and they're always, almost always themed. So whether it's like the wine tasting one I went on or there's ones that are solely focused on knitting, you know, like the knitters <laughs> get together and they go to, they go, or maybe it's a photography one where you're heading to lots of lighthouses or there's the regatta, which is one that I've always wanted to do. You can be on board while they sail the big regatta at the end of the season. Oh, cool. Well, let's shift ends of the market here and head up to sort of that, I think what you described in the beginning is like the mid-size kind of cruise. I'm interested to hear about sort of the luxury cruising you've done. You mentioned the Regent Seven Seas is a ship you've been on. What's that like? What what should folks expect there? A five stars service where they're anticipating your every need. Like there's, you know, it, the, the region I have to say would be the kind of thing that if you were thinking about having cosmopolitan, it would just probably appear next to you <laughs> at the pool. Like it's just, they just know and anticipate everything you want. It's, you know, you're paying that premium for it. It's white glove service all the way, but I'm sorry, not, but not where you're feeling uncomfortable because you're not dressed properly or you're not, you know, your etiquette isn't proper. It's just that level of service is there. So you had 
two, I'd say recent, meaning this year posts. Uh, one was the, the your tour of the, the Regent, and then you, you had another one about touring Virgin's first ship. I'm curious, I know you haven't sailed on them, but I know you toured. I'm curious if you, if you think their experience is sort of similar to the Regent experience or more similar to the sort of larger cruise line? I think it's similar to nothing. Okay. I think they, I think they are going for a whole different audience and vibe and they're going to provide, Virgin's going to provide an experience like nothing out there right now. I think they're really targeting people who used to do the, let's call it the booze cruise, party cruise to the Bahamas, like in and out of Florida, you know, you're drinking the whole time, that kind of like party all the time vibe, but Virgin's going to do it in a very sophisticated, high level way of, of cruising. They've, they've spared no detail or, you know, they've, they've spared no expense on the details of providing a good time in a, in a sophisticated way you know, in the suites that I toured, there's a record player and the albums they put out, you know, that are, you can go and check out. There's a, I forget if it's a bar or a checkout place for the record store on board, but you know, it's David Bowie and Squeeze and very, you know, you're drinking a lot of martinis, a lot of, they've got the app where you shake for champagne. You know, if you take a look at their private Island, I think it's Bimini. They're going for, I didn't get to see it, but but from the renderings and the, and the drawings and the photos, they're going for that, like, you're at a really high-end club in Mexico on the beach sort of look. You know, they're just, it's got its own style for sure. I'm wondering what the age demographic that is their target. Obviously, they'll take anyone 18 and over, but I'm I'm wondering sort of if they're you think they're targeting 20 year olds or are they t- targeting 30 and 40 year olds? I'm thinking for dip- disposable income, they're probably targeting the 30 year olds. So I don't right. I think that you you're hitting it. It's probably going to be between 30 and 52, 53. Like mm-hmm. it's the people that on the older end, it's the people that still want to be young and don't want to be on a cruise with a bunch of whiteheads. You know that they still think that they're 25 or that's the way they, or that's the way they like to enjoy themselves is, you know, they think of themselves as younger and wanting to do younger things The you know, they don't want the lectures on the cruise. They're not interested in learning about the Panama Canal. That's not why they're going on the Virgin uh, Voyages cruise line. And the, the younger set, it, they're going to have to be able to afford it. It's not your, it's not your $700 bargain in and out of Florida to the Bahamas and back with all you can drink. It's not that. So you're going to have to be able to afford it. They do have some lodging that lends itself to the social sort of culture. You know, like they've got the rooms, I forget what they're called off the top of my head, but they have rooms where like it's four bunk beds, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're really sharing. It's you and your friends. I belong to, I'm sure you guys do too, a lot of Facebook groups that are centered around specific brands of cruising. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there's several that you guys can name for Disney so that you're with like my talking about that style of cruise with like-minded passengers. It's interesting in the Virgin ones, how many are like a girlfriend getaway, but older girlfriend getaway. Like it's, right. you know, you're 45 or you're 50 and you're like, you just want to go out with your girlfriends and go on like, this is a great vacation. And so I think they're going to be surprised by the people that sail with them. And I know they're also going for, it's not just nightclub all the time. They've got, they call it vitamin C. That's their wellness program part of it. So I know that they're very focused as well uh, on the other half on offering a lot of wellness opportunities while you're on board to rejuvenate. 
But there's a lot of amenities that you're not going to find on other ships too that are nice. I mean, one of the suites I toured, I mean, first of all, most, I forget what the, the percentages, but I'm going to go with most have balconies. Very few don't. They all have hammocks on them. I was in one suite where there's an outdoor shower on the deck. They did have a really interesting, one of the things I saw was that they had a really interesting room setup where it's like during the if we, even for some of the regular cabins, yes. it was like during the day, your cabin is a couch and a TV. And then at night, everything rearranges into a bed. On my Instagram, I did a uh, a video of that, like how you transform. I mean, the, the crew will do it for you, but you can also do it yourself. It's it's a, called a seabed, I think. And it does. It maximizes a very small space during the day. It turns your bed goes away and it's just a place to lounge. And then at night your bed comes out, which is smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... To, to go back for a second, one thing it'd be interesting to talk about across these, I think you've hit on this a little bit in the barge cruising and the river cruising, but but just across the spectrum, what should folks expect from terms in terms of what's included and what's not? Well, I was saying before, like Regent Seven Seas, everything's included. There is no upcharge. On the first time I was on a Windstar cruise, that was one of the things that surprised me. You know, when you go to check out and get your passport back at the end, and then all of a sudden you have this huge bill that you've been signing for the whole time. I personally don't like that. I'd rather just pay it all up front and not feel the pressure on night seven. Well, can I order this $50 bottle of wine or not? Or, you know, I don't, if I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation to relax. I'm not trying to calculate that. I'd rather just know I've paid for it up front. The barge cruises, everything's included. Windjammer cruises are interesting. They're either everything's included or it's a BYO situation. Oh, Yes, which is kind of nice. They have a gigantic cooler on deck and you just bring on board what you want and keep it in there. And, you know, whether it's beer or wine or spirits or, you know, whatever. I mean, I always bring extra so I can share Mm -hmm. um, just because you never know. Chances are you're going to make friends with the people you're in these small quarters for a a few days with. And I wouldn't be able to offer them a drink. But yeah, so that's that's interesting. Food is included. Everything else is included. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on on those, it can be BYO, depending on the ship that you're on. Sounds like like shore excursion type stuff typically is included, although there might be some up charge options for the more private things like you talked about with Viking. Yes. Viking. Yes. There are no real excursions on a, on a wind jam or you, you pull up to an Island and go to a beach right, <laughs> right. Right. Down. Right. Um, on the barge. Everything's included. And as a matter of fact, you have a driver and you've got your own private van. She's he or she sort of goes down the, the river with you, if you will, from port to port and comes and picks you up in a private van. And, and that's your person for the whole week. So that's all included. I mean, I think if you go shopping, that's about it. That's all you'd pay for. And then, like I said, gratuities at the end. So I'm just super like curious about this Regent cruise. It's really piquing my interest. And it sounds like there, the cruise fare included, it's, I think you mentioned is like business class, airfare, transportation to the ship. You get on, your alcohol beverages are included, your food's included. Your gratuities are prepaid. I actually, there's an article I have on my site that details some of the, um, the all-inclusive experience, but I mean, even down to Wi-Fi is included. Wow. Not that you should be on your device unless <laughs> you're working, but yeah. yeah, you know, and the, the big plus I think in a, in a level of service like that is the free business class airfare plus the transfers between the airport and the ship, obviously unlimited 
beverages, open bar, et cetera. But the unlimited shore excursions are incredible. And they're really, you need to look. They're not your typical, let's just go to a museum. They are really, really unique. One more set of questions here before we head over to our rapid fire round, Dana, was that I know Sam was super curious. We were talking ahead of the show that you had traveled to Eleuthera. I have. Yes. And for our listeners out there who are trying to connect the dots as to why we might be interested in this, Eleuthera is also the island that Disney has now marked as its newest sort of castaway key destination, which is going to be Lighthouse Point. And we know you've traveled there not while cruising. And so we're, we're really curious about the island. It's an interesting choice. I have to, I was very surprised actually when you said it, because I had not heard heard that yet. It, there aren't really a lot of resorts at the, at the, the Lighthouse Beach or Lighthouse Point where this Disney spot is going to be is at the the most southern tip of the island. Eleuthera, if you don't know it, is a very skinny, long island. I think it's uh, about 100 miles from one end to the other, but there's a certain point, it's called the Glass Bridge, where you, the Caribbean and the Atlantic actually come together and the island is only as wide as the road. At that point, it's really incredible because the Atlantic obviously is so dark and, you know, dark blue and the Caribbean side of it is so like turquoise. It's a fascinating spot to go and see if you if you're there but it's not a very populous mm-hmm. island. That's sort of why I like it. Yeah, I'm sure you can tell going with my whole luxury cruise small ship thing. The closest city, which is not even a city, it's going to be a town, is going to be Rock Sound near Lighthouse Beach. And Freetown is down that way. But there's not much. It's pretty much a residential island where people rent houses, which is what I've done each time we vacation there. You're not really going there for the cuisine or to go out to dinner. There's a a handful of restaurants. The last time I was there, they had just opened an autograph hotel in the middle of the island, which if you're coming for the day, you won't get up there. And there's a, a very nice restaurant there. And all the way up at the Cove, which is at the far north end, there's a resort and a restaurant there, but not what you're going to be used to on a Caribbean island for the most part. It's very, very laid back. What it's got going for it, and I think probably why Disney chose perhaps this point, is Eleuther has some of the most incredible beaches I've ever seen, ever. I mean, just stunning. If if people are interested and they go to my website afterwards, I have several blog posts which have photographs of all of Eleuthera, you know, all parts of the island. And you'll see some of the most really beautiful pink sand, crystal clear waters. Um, and I'm sure that was part of the draw as to why Eleuthera for Disney. And I think to, to that point, I'm not envisioning a place where when Disney Cruise Line docks there that people will really take excursions to you know, the center no. or the northern end of the island. I'm thinking it's probably going to be more similar to Castaway Key, although obviously they have the option of doing other excursions. But my guess is it's going to, the excursions are going to be focused around the beach activities at Lighthouse Point. Although because the island is populated, there may be people who want to start up excursion businesses with Disney. Right. And so they probably will. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible that that end of the island is where a lot of the scuba diving boats, I I can't even call them tours because they're really just one off smaller personal businesses where they take five people out scuba diving for the day. But that end of the island is where most of those depart from. So it's a great spot for snorkeling and diving. So I could see that becoming maybe possibly part of the reason Disney chose that, that end of the island as well because that's close by. There's also on Eleuthera, I don't know the term for it, like an oceanography school, a marine wildlife spot that people go to study. And that is, that's down there too. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be, I think that's right up Disney's alley. They, they do on Castaway Key, they do a, like a stingray excursion where you can go and feed stingrays and, and Disney obviously has a lot of different missions for keeping, you know, oceans clean and that sort of thing. And so yeah. if there's an educational tie-in, I can definitely see that. As, yeah. It's truly beautiful. Eleuthera is, I mean, we've returned there because it's such a beautiful place in the Caribbean. And it's, you know, you've got the calm waters for if you're an ocean kayaker, you do like to scuba or snorkel. I mean, it's really special. Sam, is there anything that we didn't ask Dana about that you wanted to chat about? The, the only other cruise that I... I didn't really mention is that I was on last year that I really enjoyed was the Star Clippers. Oh, um, yeah. So that is a sailing ship, kind of like a windjammer, but on the cruise size. So that's 300 passengers on oh, a sailing wow. ship. Yes. Very, very cool and amazing. I mean, obviously they need to use their motors, but when they need to, but like if you've been or know anything about Windstar, they raise their sails and they sail a little bit, but they've got five masts. The Star Clippers has 42 sails and they actually raise them all and sail. It's really a beautiful ship and a really sail. Well, and that many passengers on a sailing boat. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Three stories. I sailed the Italian Riviera last year with them. Oh and my that God. was just insanely beautiful. Yeah. I've got an article on Porthole Cruise Magazine and their website about it. It's not on mine yet. Now, I wouldn't say it's ultra luxury the way some of the other ships are, but this has a very tiered system, if you will. The There's a lot of, there's only three stories for cabins or three decks for cabin stories. I'm thinking about like a skyscraper, but <laughs> three decks. The, the third, anybody who's on the, the 300 cabins, the 300 level cabins, those come with a different level of service mm-hmm. and because we met people on board and they were talking about, oh, well, yeah, we got room service or we had this. And I was like, that's not even an option for us. So there's a a different class system there within the ship. So again, sort of maybe comparing it to the larger cruise ships that have the smaller within it, you can get it if you want it. It's there. You're just paying a premium for it. They've those, a lot of those cabins have outdoor decks or, you know, a veranda style or portholes that open to the outside kind of thing. Whereas the downstairs ones, I think that you're on the first floor or first deck, you're going really because you want to be on the ship, but you're not spending much time in your room. Okay. So I think we would love to move to our rapid fire section. So this is my favorite part of the show where we say that there are no wrong answers. These are just your personal favorites. So your favorite cruise line. I'm going to have to say Regent. Even though I haven't, I've only toured her and haven't sailed out on her and I was supposed to in March, I was just really just blown away for in terms of luxury. Those pictures and that, that blog post. Oh my God. I was like, my mouth like dropped open. So (laughs) I can understand why favorite ship, favorite ship. I'm going to go with the wind surf. That's their larger one. I like it because it has just the right amount of public spaces where you can change it up and get away, but not too big where you feel like you're on a gigantic cruise ship. Um, Favorite itinerary or sailing? Oh, I'm going to have to say the Star Clippers cruise last year and the Italian Riviera. It was unbelievable. I mean, first of all, how can you go wrong with Italian food every day? <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Italian food and it's, and then Italian scenery. I mean, even if the boat's kind of meh, I feel like you're going to be like kind of, uh, you can't, you can't lose on that. You cannot go wrong yeah. on that. That itinerary was just amazing. 
favorite port of call? And this can, it doesn't have to be Italian Riviera. Okay. I'm torn here. I really enjoyed the Island of Elba. That was on the cruise, the, the Star Clippers cruise that I was on last year. One, because it was an island and two, just because it was so stunningly scenic and beautiful. And then my other favorite one is Sete in France, in the south of France. It's just like the perfect little French town that was not, I felt like I was mingling with locals. I got to go to the market. I wasn't part of the crowd. Okay. So now this is a versus question, meaning which one is better river cruising versus ocean cruising? I'm going to say ocean, but I don't get seasick. If you're a person who wants to cruise, but seasickness is a true issue for you and that's keeping you from ever trying a cruise, I'd say river or barge. They are smooth as glass. Uh, Your favorite onboard food experience? Uh, Can I just say about, it's a food experience, but it was just my best meal experience. At the end of the Star Clippers cruise, their crew is very, very diverse from really probably 16, 17 countries. And they do this world of flags in a special song at the end of the meal on the last night. And so they all come out. It's a, the dining room is, is tiered. So, you know, it's different levels and different spaces. And they all come and they parade through the dining room with their flags. And then they sing a song at the end. And it's very, it's just a kind of communal way to bring 300 passengers together and the crew and understand how diverse and where everybody's from. And that that stands out for me. It was a special night. Oh, that sounds really beautiful. Um, Your favorite port adventure experience? When, when we did the Viking River Cruise, one of the towns that you come to or one of the cities that you get to visit on the Danube usually is Vienna. And Vienna was a port where you were actually there for 12 hours, which is a, a, long, a long time. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a long day. So we did the regular tour that came included. And in the evening, we did an urban adventures tour of food and and like a behind the scenes locals. Urban adventures tagline is uh, the best day ever. And it's locals taking you around their city. Oh, I love that. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And so it'd be like if you went to Vienna and your brother had a best friend there, it was like, oh, he'll take you around for the day. Right. That's the kind of tour it is. It's very intimate. And we spent four hours eating and drinking with just two. They only take six people max eating and drinking all over like in Vienna where the locals go. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Finding those kinds of unique tours. I know Brian really enjoys whenever we go anywhere in Europe, trying to find a, a running tour and that. Yeah. And it's, it's usually, it's obviously a different experience. It is really a good way to find a different kind of tour than sort of your organized paddle, you know, style tour. Okay. So my last two questions, I'm going to give them to you at the same time, because I want to distinguish the two questions. So one is bucket list ship and bucket list cruise. Okay. Bucket list ship. I'm torn between Ritz Carlton, their new yachting cruise line it seems rule worthy and <laughs> and blue world voyages they're a new cruise line that's coming out with like a yacht style and it's dedicated to sort of that healthy lifestyle first class experience together and then so your bucket list cruise i really want to sail the 
Baltics. Mm. I, I've really, I've never been up in that area and I would love, I know there's a lot of cruises that go, you know, as far as Estonia and St. Petersburg. And I just, I'd really, even though to me going cruising, because I think I live in Vermont, probably you guys similar in Seattle, like I want to go somewhere warm Mm -hmm. when I travel to escape what I have. And I know the Baltics aren't going to be your Caribbean weather cruise or even a Mediterranean cruise, but it's a different part of the world that I'd like to get a flavor for by by going on a cruise and going from you know country to country over 10 days or a week and seeing if I want to go back again. I feel like our bucket list is getting longer and longer. Every person that we talk to on our podcast. Well, Regent, Regent just got added to my bucket list. Like I'm, I was actually sitting here scrolling through their website, looking at their cruises, because that just sounds like an amazing experience. Dana, it's been just lovely having you on today to talk about some of these luxury cruise experiences. It's been, it's been great. How can folks find you? My website is Dana H freeman.com. And then all of my social media handles are the same. It's at Dana H Freeman, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And there's a lot of good stuff on there. I hope you'll follow me. All right. Well, thanks again, Dana, for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't know that Sam and I had really given a ton of thought to small ship cruising or luxury cruising before we had a chance to talk to Dana. But now that we have, I can tell you the Regent Seven Seas is probably on our bucket list. And uh, we also signed up for an Adventures by Disney River cruise for Christmas time next year. So we look forward to letting you know how that cruise goes. If you're interested in small ship cruising and luxury cruising after hearing Dana on the show this evening, do head over to her blog. It's a great resource and she's got a lot of great content. As I've said, before, I do think it's important to just kind of keep in mind what else is out there, explore those options. We hope you find these episodes helpful. We're going to keep sort of talking to other folks out there who've sailed Disney and who haven't sailed Disney just to kind of bring you some content uh, about cruising in general on occasion. So we hope you enjoy it. Want to be sure to read one of our reviews on the air again this week. This one comes from R. Solsem, who writes, Great listen. As an avid DCL fan, I love as much content as I can find. This is a great new podcast with knowledgeable guests and fun info. Can't wait to hear more. Thanks so much for the review. It really keeps us motivated. Really appreciate it. We'll keep making the shows as long as you keep listening. So thanks to everyone out there for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us one of those five-star reviews. Leave us a written review. It's really helpful in making the show more visible to other people who are looking for a DCL oriented podcast. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content. And we are going to be releasing some DCL 101 videos coming up. So be sure to subscribe so you know when those come out. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on this show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or the Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. Good night.